Okay, that's enough love and friendship. We're back. Play. So, uh, what you will need for at this period of time until your next session, I'd like you to pull out something that's closer to a journal, if you have a journal with you, um, or your songwriting journal. That would even be better. Okay? And if you don't have a songwriting journal, pause for effect. A little bit of education. You might want to have one of those. Somewhere where all the details, all the ideas, all the concepts can live, and you have one go-to place where you go for those ideas. Versus, how many of you have like six or seven places that all your song ideas exist, from napkins to various, etc. The problem is, is they're they're not retrievable in that form. Uh, my brother-in-law is one of those, you know, software architects. Just, you know, thinks about the cosmos for fun, <laughs> and. Uh, and he's always saying to me, Dan, one life, one computer. Don't have too many. Thi- like, have a place that's a trusted source for you. So I want you to have uh, something like that in front of you. And what I'd like to, to do is, is to have you listen to me but not. <laughs> or as you did for Mark. Okay. Listen to me, but not. Or uh, I think maybe a better, better statement would be, um, hear what I am saying, but listen for, li- listen to the Holy Spirit, but also listen to, to your, your creative impulse, right? And what I'd like you to do is, as, as I talk, I want you to jot down words, phrases that come to mind, ideas. Some of what I say may be colorful enough uh, and, and cinematic enough for it to just speak. And you're just like, wow. But there might be moments where I say something that's more of a theological concept. It's just dry and dusty and just like, boom. And you have a metaphor that just comes to mind or an image comes to mind. All I know is when you said this, I saw a rock. Okay? Write that down. That's, that's us, we in the vineyard, we're a listening movement, right? We first are not an activist movement, a missional movement, a signs and wonders praying. I hear that sometimes. I'm like, yeah, no, we listen to God first. So we do what we hear him saying and see what he's doing and then do it. That's the way this works, right? Then signs and wonders and everything else flow out of it. But we want to do the right things at the right times, right? Lead it, led by the, the whispers of the Holy Spirit. So what I'd just like you to do is follow the whispers of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk about, our topic is, uh, what did I call it? Epic themes in scripture to power our worship songwriting. And I'm going to be talking about more archetypal, big, broad themes that will always be in. That will always be a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit to every generation that pack the scriptures, the pages of the scriptures, that um, will all, it will always matter when you write something about these. Are you with me? And then what we'll see in every generation is that the Lord will then say, of these different themes, this one now. I want you to sing about the Father's love for like 12 years. It's time. Right, And for us, the math is like 12 years. That's a whole chunk of my life. But in the grand scope of history, we're at a time and a place and a generation, and we will be here for a time, and we won't be here for another. But the fact is, many of us are still resonating with truths. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. And we look and we, we touch these things, and there are some enduring themes that come to us because someone wrote it down at a time and a place, they said what the Spirit was saying. Mm. But they had these other broader themes continually going into them. They say, you know, it's the idea of input in, right, output out. What we're taking in is coming out. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the songwriting process, the craft, but in a sense I want to leave that more to you. There, there's, there are lots of great teachings on craftsmanship. We could spend our time that way, but I want to hit these big themes I want to, in a sense, just, just throw a pebble or a few pebbles in the water and let the ripples go and let your creative process begin to just jot down some things. Someone might finish this hour with a new song that they started, right? Others, we might just have some great lyric phrases, some ideas, some concepts that stir in us. Is that okay? So I want to begin by reading, and it's, it's really a prayer, Something out of a, a, a beautiful book you should all have. 
and I have no, no vested interest in it, so I encourage you all to buy lots of them. It's called Every Moment Holy, and a friend who is a priest in the Anglican Church in, in the Nashville area wrote this book of liturgies for everyday life. There's a prayer for your first cup of coffee. There's a prayer for feasting with good friends. There's a prayer for having just finished a great book, right? And he's got, there's a prayer for changing diapers, there's a prayer, you know, there are all these, all these things, but they're beautifully written. They're written from a, a poet and a songwriter's heart. And they're just lush, they're rich, they're beautiful, but they also create some space. And what I want to do to start is just to read you one of these. And we'll pray it together, but I'll, I'll read the words to you. Because I want it to open us up as we, as we dig into some of these, these big ideas, these epic themes. This one is what finishes the book. It's called Praise to the God of Creation. And it's, it's responsive, but I'll just I'll read the whole thing. Our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. For seldom have we considered how specific is the exercising of your authority, extending as it does into the myriad particulars of creation. There is no quarter over which you are not king. And as creation hurdles toward the, its liberation, that <laughs> great line, as creation hurdles toward its liberation and redemption, the full implications of your deep lordship are yet to be revealed in countless facets unconsidered. Christ, you are the snow king. You are the maker of all weathers. You are the king of sunlight and storms, the king of gray skies and rain. You are the rain king, which means you're the king of the UK. <laughs> Pause for effect. Just a little joke. Just a little something. I do love. We, 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 we love rain. I love rain. You are the rain king, the sun king, the hurricane king. You are the king of autumn and king of spring. And our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. The old and impotent gods our ancestors once believed in were at their best but imperfect pictures of you, whose strength and goodness and creative majesty and wonderful mystery and love exceed those old rumors as sunlight exceeds the tiny dimness of stars reflected in a dark and wavering pool. The fairy tales crafted by our old cultures hinted at you, though they knew it not. Yet their perfect princes and blessed ends were yearnings for all that has found fulfillment in you. You are the Lord of the harvest, the grain king, the wine king, the God of plenty, the God of hearth and home. You are the hill king, the wildflower king, king of the great bears, king of canyons. You are the monarch of meadows, the Lord, the lighting in here is killing me, um, there you go. You are the, the monarch of meadows, the lord of the lava fields. Did someone get that in a worship song? <laughs> lord of the lava fields. Ruler of the desert waters, the polar king, the rainbow king, the king of the southern cross, and the king of the northern lights. You are the king of the rabbits, the lord of tall trees. You are the god of youth and the god of age. You are the acorn king, the river god the swamp king, king of glades, king of dells, ruler of all hummingbirds. little shout out to your worship there. You are the horse lord, the crag king, lord of the bees, king of the walruses, commander of rhinos, lord of the lightning bugs, cave lord, mountain king, ruler of the grassy plains, god of the valleys. You are the captain of the clouds, the wolf king, the king of the cockatoos, and our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. For your claim over creation is vast. You are the lord of Antarctica, the king of California, the king of the Scottish hills, the king of the Nile. You are the weaver of the unseen fabrics of the world. You are the lord of the atoms, the ruler of electrons, the lord of gravity, and the king of quarks. Your dominion enfolds the earth and rises beyond it to the furthest extremes of the stars. You are Lord of the vast empty spaces. You are the king of the constellations. 
You're the black hole king, lord of novas exploding, lord of speeding light, high king of galaxies, king of Orion, king of the moon. And still, even still, our thoughts of you have been too small, too few. You are the god of justice, the god of wisdom, the god of mercy, the god of redemption. You are the lord of love. All of this is true. But our thoughts of you are still too few. For our minds are too small to conceive of them all, let alone to contain them. You were before all things. You exceed all things. You created all things, and in you all things are held together. There is no corner of creation you will fail to redeem. You are the Lord of lords and King of kings, O Jesus Christ, our King of everything. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So many images and pictures that could be contained in a prayer, and usually our songs are far more limited, right? We have more limited space. We have more limited time. Sometimes we feel as though we have more limited language when we're writing particularly worship songs that are for the communion of saints to sing of every age, which changes the way we write our melodies and our phrasings, right? We are also recognizing that many of us in this room are are artistic and creative by nature, which means that worship songs are not the only thing God has given you to do, right? They are one of the tasks of the creative personality, of those who are creatively gifted. There are many tasks we have in front of us, but when we choose to write songs for worship, we're in a genre that has historic precedent, But that historic precedent behind that all has been one singular motivation. It is to give the saints of God truths to sing, revelation to experience, and I believe a place in which to meet with God. And this goes to this idea that songs are a place we go. Now, we could spend a lot of time there. I love this idea. But songs are a physical place. They're, they're, maybe physical is too strong to say, but let me ask you something. When you hear your favorite song on the radio, or you've put the CD in, and you blast it, and you fill a space, tell me, is that any less a room, a place of meeting, than this physical room around us? No, there's something, a sonic sanctuary that's created, right? There's, it's a creative cathedral around us. We can close our eyes and go somewhere. Uh, I love to tell a story, and I'm going to like give it in a minute, of my cousin who was kidnapped from northern Kenya into Somalia. He and three people, for three, uh, two others, excuse me, for three months were laid side by side on a mat on the hard desert ground by Somalian terrorists. So 20 out of 24 hours a day or so, they were laid, laying flat on their back. There was no padding in the beating sun, and they were surrounded by AK-47s and you know, grenades and, and people shouting, screaming vitriol, hatred, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill you for three months. They were on the phone with, with my relatives, with my aunt and others trying to get a ransom because he was the American, so they thought they could get more money for him, and then he had a Kenyan with him, and he had a, another guy, I can't remember where he was from. And so they were, they were pushing hard to get a ransom for him, and, and it, was, it was a very dark, dark time in our family's lives. We were just crying out to God. And we saw him rescued after three months. Usually they're, they're not rescued whole, like things and pieces of them have been cut off, anything to get the ransom, right? And he was rescued whole, whole in body. <laughs> he's a broken man. And, and yet, he's a believer. And I asked him, we were at, at a Christmas party, a family gathering right after this all happened, and we were in the corner of a room. I'm kind of that, you know... Expressive with the crowd, yay, you know, Tigger in the Hundred Acre Woods. But then the real me is going like, I need to get in a corner and talk to someone all night. Just one person. And you know. And so he and I were like, we have to talk, you know, boom. And so he was in process just debriefing and counseling and things to, to not be paranoid at any time that something would happen to him. And we sat there and we talked and I said, So what what did what did you do? You had no one to lead you in worship. You had no church. You had no Bible in front of you. You had no. And he said to me, oh, Dan, do you, do you know Rita Springer? Mm-hmm. And I said, I was just with Rita. She's a good friend the week before this. He said, 
I sang those songs over and over again in my head. And as he talked, I realized all it did, he said, it wasn't like the heavens opened. He said it was just, it kept him sane. He said it kept me sane. I had something to focus on. I sang those songs. He finally got to see Rita and told her this story. And I get this text from Rita. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. This is your cousin? What? Oh my gosh. I said, that's a cool story, you know. Who knows where your songs are going to go? You're giving people portable places to take with them. And whether they're in a place that they would, they would say is the closest place to hell on earth that they could be, or they're in a place of great success and victory and the song that's in their heart anchors them and centers them as to how not only to deal with great failure but with great success. We don't know where what we do is going. So we should be good caretakers, good stewards of the words we choose. We don't have, as N.T. Wright said, the luxury uh, you know, of just emoting out you know we don't have that luxury in the sense that there's probably a place for that it's called a youth conference you know there's a place for that but 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 if we're going to be craftspeople if we're going to care for the details not all of us are called to write songs that will last for the next few hundred years i also believe that sometimes the holy spirit says here now sing this and then it just goes whoop thank you this was for your bedroom for that night. Wasn't that helpful? That was good. And it's gone. That's okay. But at the same time, let's, ha- let's take ourselves seriously as writers. Like, why not? I love that question. We're going to talk about it some. You know, we ask a lot of why. Oh, I don't know if I should. Maybe I should. I, you know, et cetera. I think the Holy Spirit's like, why not? Give me a good reason why you shouldn't do this crazy thing. You know, well, that's a far more freeing question, isn't it? Now the whole playing field's in front of you, and we're assuming that God wants to do crazy, dangerous things with all of us. He wants to play. And he wants to know, why can't you come out and play right now? Because <laughs> well, my inner mother is telling me that I should probably be a little more conservative with my lyric here. You know? and he's like, come on out and play. Let's at least play, and then you can pull it back to what you know, your inner mother's telling you. <laughs> Some of you are going, I don't have an inner mother. Okay. Well, your inner whatever, inner critic. But we should play with God, and he wants to play. But we also want to curate and steward what we do. So these ideas uh, that are these epic themes in Scripture, I want to broaden our scope. And one of the reasons I wanted to read that prayer is because he's playful with his language. We may not sing Lord of the Walruses, you know, Lord of the Mosquitoes. I don't even know if that's true. The results of the fall, you know. It's a little beasts. But... We might not use that language, but let's just say that, that the field is open for us to play in. I remember uh, Brian, you know, Durson saying, you know, he put oxygen in the song because he could, you know, because we need more language. People need more language. And sometimes I think we feel limited, and it's actually, um, uh, for those that care about kind of worship studies, et cetera, it's actually... It would be born out of more Calvinistic traditions, this idea of the, the, the regulatory principle that we can only use words that are here. Well, guess what? The word astrophysics is not in here, and I'm using it because it's a good word, right? Or whatever other words that God gives us that are part of the palette of our vocabulary, we have paints in front of us to work with. Many of them are here, but I think more powerfully here are all the overarching themes upon which we can hang a thousand others. I remember I had a dream just years and years ago that stayed with me all my life. And, and it was just, I saw a phrase over and over. Just kind of, I don't even know what the font was. I wish I knew it, but it was awesome. It was just cool. It was just great font. still feels enduring. And, sorry. <laughs> Graphic designers all against me. And I saw this phrase. It said, truth is self-revealing. Tell it in a thousand stories. Truth is self-revealing. Tell it in a thousand stories. If we have the theme, there are a thousand ways to tell it. Not just two or three, not just ones that sound kind of like that and we know we'll get up. We need to write what people need to sing, not just what they want to. Right? When a child comes and you say to them every meal, what do you want to eat? It's going to be like candy. Here's candy. What would you like to eat for dinner? More candy. Okay, I'll give you more candy, right? That's not healthy, is it? A pastor, when they're teaching and preparing their messages... They're not saying, what does everyone want to hear? Right? What would I like to preach? 
Hopefully, they're asking the Holy Spirit, what do we need to hear? How can I deliver it in such a way that it's accessible, that it connects with the people I have been given to connect with? That's craftsmanship right there, right? But they're asking the question, what do we need to sing? What do we need to say? So here are some things that we need to sing, that we need to say. And I'm going to say the broad concept, and I'm going to let you come up with the five or ten phrases and words that hang under each one for you, okay? If we had time, if this was like a whole seminar, we'd actually take the time to share some of them. Because I bet there'd be some, what I would call, popcorn of glory in the room, right? There'd be just some fun things. All I know is when you said that, I saw gravity physically around us. That's so weird. That's cool. Write that down. Who knows? Gravity, right? Okay. So, here we go. We have a pastoral mandate in our writing. And uh, these are some of the themes around which we can orbit that mandate. And I'm going to call each one, I'm going to start with the great, kind of to make it epic, like the great Gatsby, no, the great blank. And there are probably more, but I, I talked with my, my brother-in-law, who's a New Testament scholar, I mined a few places to see if I could distill it to these, these big broad concepts. Okay, first of all, the great creation, the great creation. This is about the origin and the nature of things. In every generation, this is in question to some degree. In our generation, this is highly embattled. Because where you come from gives you meaning. As Julie Andrews said, start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Because if you don't start where we came from, you will not understand why, the why of your existence. People are struggling with their why everywhere in the world. And if we don't give them why themes in our songwriting, why you're here, purpose-driven lyrics, like that, you should write a book like that, to be honest, right? Purpose-driven lyrics. If we don't help give them a why, not just I love and you love, right? That's one of the themes we're going to touch. But if we give them in lyrics why you are here, your purpose, that electrician in the congregation, that single mother, is going to have a flicker of, of something true go on inside of them. That's right. I am made for a purpose. I have meaning. I'm valuable. I'm beloved. But if we begin with this idea of the great creation, it can take us all sorts of places. He took us some of those places in, in this writing. In the songbook of the scriptures, the Psalms, it mentions themes of God's creation more than any other book in the Bible. The Psalms talk about creation. And they don't always talk about creation in this sort of task-oriented, purposeful way. I'm going to talk about the beauty of this mountain because then I'm going to make a metaphor out of it and bring you home to a teaching or a truth. Sometimes it just revels in creation. You're the God who made Leviathan. That's just awesome. We don't even know what it is. But it's awesome, you know. So if we could get words like atoms and quarks down to the micro-universe all the way to the macro-universe, if we can get those things that help people as well understand that in the creation, that supernova is not as majestic as the creatures sitting in this room that actually have the breath of God in them. That's what's behind our eyes. That's why we're drawn to one another. That's why people are so magnificent. We're cooler than a supernova, than the galaxy in which we live, because we have the breath of God in this dust. There's something special here. So, the Psalms talk about the joy of creation, its magnificence, its beauty, sometimes its function, and its origination from a loving, creating God. First verse, he's a maker. Tell people they're makers, that they can make beauty out of the brokenness of life, that they are also creators. They're sub-creators in that sense. So, when you're writing songs, you know, I, I, I just grabbed a few out of here. We could, we could grab a lot of songs, but I, I actually grabbed two hymns came to mind here. Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee is, is based on its lyrics are meant to celebrate creation. All creatures of our God and King. Sun, moon, and stars, like everything, join me in this celebration. These are intentionally written songs about creation. And when we do that, when we create a context, people understand their why. If, if I'm in the middle of empty, open space, I don't know why I'm there, right? But people are not. They're, we're embodied. We're with one another. 
That gives meaning to me. I'm with a community of friends and family. That matters to me. It helps me understand who I am more. Give people a context, and creation is one of the ways. So, when you're writing about this, affirm the origins of humankind and creation. Affirm where we've come from. Celebrate the nature of things with poetry and words that capture ideas about nature that inspire awe, appreciation, thanksgiving. Help people through a song on a Sunday morning when they're surrounded with lights and sound systems and everything else. I think we should be outdoors a lot more, personally. Like, if you can, I, if I could build a cathedral, it would be like, it would be the Crystal Cathedral. Did you ever see that? No, it's not the Crystal Cathedral. But I just love to put glass everywhere. So when the rain is pouring down and the lightning's flashing and we're in the middle of worship, like, we're seeing it. We're just not wet. No, that'd be awesome. Okay. Is that Okay. Number two, the great order. The great order of things. The great order. And this has to do with lordship and the relationships between us. Now some of you are going to go, even as I say it again, they're a bit metaphysical, they're a bit broad, big concepts, but, but let your mind wander as I talk. Okay. This big idea that there's a great order to things, that in our time, the language of random, it was so random, I ran in, it was just so random, it was totally random, etc. That is, that is a philosophy called Epicureanism that has now re-emerged in a thousand different ways through the movies and music we listen to and is antithetical to biblical faith. And people are swimming in the waters and we don't know that we are wet. You with me? It's just random. It's just so random. This randomly happens. Now, I don't mean that things surprise us that we're like, why did this happen? Especially the problem of evil. I don't know that we can address the problem of, of evil in songs, but I think it helps people when we at least affirm that God is present in the midst of pain. Are you with me? That God is here. That God didn't leave. That there is no place He is not. Even in your darkest hour, He is not gone. In fact, the only place in the Bible, I can't remember the passage now, the only place in the Bible that says that God is not is in the heart of one who is, is wicked and turned their heart from him. There's, some, there's language that's around, he can't dwell there, where someone has just totally resisted him. That doesn't mean he's not involved, but I think it's even metaphorical. The truth is he's there. He's there. Tell people he's there. He didn't go anywhere. But the order of things relates to a number of things. The beauty of creation is quite happily formed around a structure. Now, listen, I am not, I might come off that way in the way I plan things, but I have to force myself to do things that you don't, which is a gift, right? As much. Prioritize, put things in categories, etc. That is me taming the circus in here. It's just like, ah, oh my gosh, there's an idea. When I write notes, I write it in constellations. I write bubbles, it's, it's you know, those, those ideas. Like, I have to do that and then connect them all, and then in the end I create an outline of it because I just can't. Step one, step two, oh, this hurts. Step three, oh, I can't let that job, you even do this. So, but there's order to things, there's structure. So, by structure, we might mean the natural laws of physics, mathematics, gravity, density. We might also be speaking of the laws that govern human relationships. Covenantal agreements, this is a big one, covenant. In creation to creation manners, how we show manners to one another, how we dignify and value one another, how we show manners in our relationship with God, right? For God to be treated with reverence and awe is a good thing because it's what the, biblical, what the Bible calls righteousness. Okay, quick moment here, a little Bible study moment. We, when, we think, when you hear the word righteousness, what's the first thing you think of? Like, she was righteous. What's that? I still can't hear you. Oh, Maltesers. Huh. I never gone there. But that's beautiful. God bless. God bless chocolate. Maltesers. What's that? Want some pop? There's some popcorn. Thank you. Write that down. Maltesers. Because that could be a worship hit. Um, I can just see everyone throwing Maltesers in the air. And worship. Anyway, um, oh and we shall throw Maltesers in here. Anyway, so um, I totally lost my train of thought. So oh, righteousness. We, try, we, we think like moral correctness, right? 
But that's not where this comes from. Walter Brueggemann is saying, when righteousness means right relatedness. When God deals rightly with you, it means he treats you according to your dignity and value. He doesn't mistreat you or abuse that relational connection you have. When we are walking in righteousness with God, it means we're relating rightly to God. Who he is, his love for us, etc. And most most dysfunctions in the human condition are because we're not relating rightly to God because we don't really understand who we're dealing with. You with me? We have all these misconstructions. People need to understand the order of these relationships. We also have, in the Bible, you have uh, uh, right relationships, the order of things with creation. That abusing creation, according to the Old Testament especially, is bad. It's wrong. We have to work with it. If we don't work with it, it will come back to bite us, Right? It's like the, the, the cathedrals that were so beautiful at one time, and then you go see their ruins because nature overtook them. You know what I mean? They didn't work with the land. Uh, Phil, who is our national director, Phil Strell, one of his things is, um, uh, what do you call it? It's, there's a term for it. I'm not going to, not sustainable architecture, but what is it where you work with the land in your building? Everything is to work with it and enhance the growth and trees and everything around it as you Put your footprint in it. He's built this whole place. Their, their home is all built to work with the nature around it. It's, it's awesome. And he basically doesn't have to pay anything that the carbon footprint, like for heating and all these things, is just built to work with the land. It's fascinating stuff, right? But we see this order. There's an order of us relating to God and, and to the creation. And then there's even an order biblically as to how we relate to ourselves. Did you know you treat yourself a certain way? Like, we actually can have a relationship. I'm not getting too crazy here. But we can treat ourselves. I say to my own soul. Right? We see David saying that. I speak to my own soul. Help people have language for good relationships within this whole wisdom structure of creation. All things hold together, the scripture says, because God has ordered them to hold together. So when you're writing about this, affirm that there's a loving order in the world. I actually think creation gives us this. It's why Genesis is so important. It shows the order of relationships and how they work together. How men relate to women, how women can relate to men, how uh, we relate to the animals and the creatures around. Like the whole thing gives some ordering. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful story uh, filming there. So uh, affirm there's loving order in the world. Use relational language that points to God, bringing order to the chaos of the relationships noted above. Many people are living in a chaotic reality within them. It's a mess. Things aren't connected. They're not in a larger story. Can we say some things in songs that help them see that they have a place in this world? That they're connected to other people? That a community could love them as they are? And then we think, well, this isn't just for new Christians. For us, I'm 53 years old. And I still wake up thinking thoughts about myself and the world around me that are chaotic, that just aren't true. But they're a story I've had in my mind since I was a little boy. And God is still healing, still touching, still restoring this sense of order. You know, chaos is, is a fascinating thing here. And, and these, these first two I wanted to spend a, a little more time on than, than the others. But... Um, at the beginning, when we look at what happens in creation, the words that are used for the spirit hovering over the watery abyss, this watery abyss, this great nothing, is, is literally the language, the great waters of chaos. You'll see it in, in, in Judaic thought that God's creation comes out of the chaos, that he steps into the middle of chaos. It's the language for them. The, the place of, of namelessness, unpredictability. For the Jews in the Old Testament, when they talk about the great waters and the great seas, they're not talking about pretty oceans and lakes. For them, the waters represented chaos. So when we get to the story of Moses that they repeat over and over and over and over for generations and generations, the story for them means God stepped into the waters of chaos and parted them. And they walked through the chaos to the promised land, to home. And they came home to God's loving order. When we see God bringing uh, creation to form, it means he stepped into the void, the great chaos, and he spoke a creative word. 
How many of you have ever had a word in a song? Your world feels in chaos. It shambles around you, and, and you maybe you lost your job or something happened. I've had this moment the, the Sunday after I lost my job uh, about nine years ago, eight, eight and a half years ago. And I walked in on a Sunday morning, and I'm just telling you, the simplest lyric came up on the screen. And it was like my world was in chaos. What am I going to do, Jesus? This is, I lost my job on a good Friday, which is fascinating. The national, you know, international, intergenerational day of mourning loss, right? And I remember <clears throat> singing this simple lyric, and it was like my whole world went, all the fragmented chaos just went, boom, this is true. I'm going to sing this over and over again. Please don't give me any more lyrics. Please let me sing that phrase over and over and over and over until I'm not only singing it from me, it is getting in me. That's why we repeat phrases and songs. I actually rarely, on this ordering principle, um, I like songs that have physical places in their language set. And I have one sitting in front of me right here, Be the Center. There is rarely a meeting that I begin with boards of directors or whatever environment, leadership teams, that that probably doesn't figure in about 50% of the time. Because one of the first things I want us to say in the meeting is Jesus. And one of the second things I want us to say is that he's in the middle of everything we're about to do. Because then we're set for discernment, we're set to hear the Holy Spirit, right? So language like that can order people's fragmented worlds. Number three, the great rescue. The great rescue. The salvation themes of home, exile, return will always be a part of the human experience. Now this is getting into some deep theology, we won't go there. You're going to see this theme repeated throughout the scriptures, and it's actually repeated in our lives at all times. We start at home, that we were loved, we're valued, you have meaning in this world. Then we go into exile, because we, by our own choices and volition, or circumstances around us, the hand we were dealt, puts us in a place where we are far from home. Right? And then, we sing in worship songs and we preach in our messages. It's time to come home. Come home from your exile. You know that shattered world you have after your divorce doesn't mean you're lost. Oh. Hello. Oh, it's working. Doesn't mean you're lost. You can come home. Come home to love again. You need to get your heart renewed. You're broken. It's okay. We're dealing with the God who fixes things. He's a rescuer. He's a restorer. That theme will never, ever grow old. Redemption and the retrieval of the human heart. The story of the prodigal son. How do we return home? By a rescue that cost God his very best. Jesus came. He dealt with the sin problem. We should sing about that. Keep singing songs about the cross, but also just deal with the theme that Jesus came to deal with the sin problem. That thing that's askew in our heart from true north. He came to deal with that. He came to fix that. It's the God of second chances. We need to keep singing about the God of second chances. Actually, I thought about that. We're coming alive. We were singing that last night, right? We're coming alive. We're coming alive. That's just true. We're coming alive. Where you were, God is rescuing us. We're coming alive. We're coming alive. Sing it over and over and over again. You're coming back to life. You know, sometimes we don't feel like we need to sing that, but we'll sing it for the joy and the fun of it. Some people are walking into that congregation on a Sunday morning and they desperately need to say those words out loud. Because they don't get to do it anywhere else. Sometimes they don't even know how to. And then we give them a song that sings it over and over. It opens us, opens us to God. So in this epic narrative, God is the actor, God is the rescuer. Okay. Um, affirm the saving acts of Jesus for humankind and for people, individuals in particular. Do the broad brush thing, but then also say he saves you, he rescues you, he steps in, he loves you. Then emphasize those different themes in the home exile return theme. Now, ah, so many places we could go. Still a little time. Number four, the great table. The great table. Okay? Hospitality and the feast of love. This is about hospitality and the feast of love. Have you ever thought of God as the host? <laughs> God is the most hospitable being in the universe. 
When you're being hospitable to someone, what are the expressions that you, you get? You open your door to people as opposed to keep it closed. You create an environment in which they feel safe and can be disarmed and will hang out with you. If, you're, if they're your friends, you know exactly how to do it. If they're not, you try to perk it up a little bit to just make it a little more welcoming, right? Because you're not sure who they are, what they love, what connects with them. We're dealing with the most hospitable being in the universe. It is a, uh, I love how my brother-in-law said this. He said, Dan, if you're going to say anything, say that hospitality is central to the gospel. The entire story end to end is one big monster act of hospitality. So there, I said it. I'm going to tell him. I said what you said. There you go. A lavish, incredibly expensive act of hospitality. It's God welcoming us, God calling us to him. In the book of John, we see a theme repeated over and over. And if we're just reading it quickly, we'll miss it. But it's a theme John is committed to. And it connects deeply to the Old Testament theme of covenant. And the theme is the Father's house. Now, we can get in all sorts of theological ideas about this. But the basic theme of the Father's house is you always have a home. You always have a safe place. You will always be welcome here. You will always, there's nothing you can do. I tell my children this. There is nothing you can do that will cause me not to love you. It will never happen. I will always love you, no matter what happens. And my son is like, cool, anything? I'm like, yeah, I need you to step away. Um, a lavish experience of the spirit of hospitality is the inheritance of the church. It's the inheritance of the church. When God calls us to life, honestly, he's fulfilling something in, in, uh, that, that he needs to do. Because he's always calling forward to people to be with him. The with God life. That doesn't mean necessarily that God has needs. It means that love spills over and invites. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Spills over and invites. You'll always have a safe place here. It's why it's so important. Hey, here's another one. Uh, <laughs> When the church is not expressing hospitality to the foreigner and the marginalized and the vulnerable, we are far from the heart of God. We can say it a thousand ways what, what we think it should be and how. We are far from the heart of God when our arms are not like this. It doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's, it's hard usually. You can't be more like God than when you open your door, and that has to be echoed in the real world. Affirm that God is the host of worship, the inviter, the welcomer to his love. Use language that points to the welcoming spirit of God and the welcoming spirit of the church. We need songs about the nature of the church, but there you go. Five, the great victory, resurrection and new creation. And I'm going to tie a bow on these a little more quickly than the others, but we can always talk about them through the whole weekend if you want to. The great victory, resurrection and the new creation. This is going somewhere. The final movement of redemption is going to lead to the new creation moment, okay? At Easter, I humbly say this as a fellow songwriter, we need five resurrection songs for every cross song we sing. Ready? Buckle your seatbelts. Easter is not about the cross. I'm not saying they're not fully connected in the narrative. I'm just saying that if you're singing a song about the cross on Easter Sunday and what Christ did on it, you're simply singing about, singing about something other than Easter. You're singing about the preamble to Easter. Paul did not say, ready? I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat on this theologically. Paul did not say, without the cross, you have no faith. Paul said, without the resurrection of the Son of God, your faith has no meaning. If he didn't rise from the dead, move on, go have a party, have fun, stop putting, you know, uh, what was it uh, Richard uh, Dawkins said years ago? There is no God, so go have fun, you know, stop worrying, right? Just move on. It's the resurrection that is the ultimate act of restoration. It is the image of the new creation to come, that God takes dead things and makes them new. Are you with me? If you feel like you have spent all your words about the resurrection, take some time, find a crazy book. Oh, gosh, which one would I recommend? Here's one, The Epic of Eden. It's called The Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter. 
It'll help you understand covenant and why it's so central to the whole biblical story. Uh, we could spend time there. But the, the, the idea of covenant is the center of the gospel, why it's all working together from Old Testament to New. It's called the Great Buried. It's the way that God brings relationship when one is broken. It's the way we interact with God. It's a fascinating idea. But in this story, you'll, you'll see in Sandra Richard's book, you'll see Jesus and the victory of God, the resurrection of the Son of God, those books by N.T. Wright. If you can, if they'll choke a mule. <laughs> They're huge. But just go through, forget the first half where he's talking to the other scholars and just start to read the second half. Surprised by Hope. You guys know that one? It's another N.T. Wright one that's super helpful. Just get some fresh language in you. Find some fresh metaphors. There are many ways to talk about uh, things coming to life. You know, the butterfly metaphor is a metaphor the church has used about resurrection. The phoenix metaphor, which they actually believed was a real thing back then, a phoenix, that the bird that lives for 500 years then goes into its own ashes, dies, and a new bird emerges. They actually believed that was a thing. So, different times and places. We shouldn't judge them because we probably have some whack, you know, going on with us. <laughs> Anyone catch that? Just check. Um, so, <laughs> we've all got some whack going on in here. So, um, we love a lot of Jesus songs, but at the same time, we need to write those, and I think we need to just, just pull out all the stops and major on the resurrection and the new creation. That all things get made new. And we can use that phrasing a lot. Um, it, you guys all know uh, uh, Sam's song, we talked about it, All Things Rise. He just decided that instead of saying, Jesus rose again from the dead... All things rise and bless your name. All things made right and new again. And he started looking for language, lavish beauty language. It's a great song to mine. I also love a, and the ground began to shake. Any of you use that? And the stone was rolled away. What many of us don't know is, is that image. Anyone ever been to an Orthodox communion service like the Orthodox Church? It's fascinating. When they bring the bread out, Two priests will hold this cloth, or two of the deacons, will hold a white cloth over the bread and do this. And then pull it away. It's like the ground began to shake and then the stones rolled away as perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Cinema, boom, forever. All right, there you go. So there you go. Okay, so it's connected to the Exodus, etc. So six, the great shalom. The great shalom. And that's about justice and the coming peace. We think a world that we're in right now could use some language of peace. The great shalom, the great settling. When all things are brought back to their relationship with God. Shalom is a Hebrew word for a peace that penetrates all things. It's not the absence of war. It's the presence of someone who himself embodies loving leadership over it all. Okay? It's Isaiah 58. Don't come to me with worship when you're exploiting your workers. Just don't even come to me. James even takes on the tone. If you're preferring the rich over the poor, I really question whether you're a Christian at all. Like, it's that radical. We should be talking about those things. Justice is, is its very definition is our relationship to the oppressed, to the vulnerable, to the marginalized. And that's right at the core of the DNA of who the vineyard is. We care for the weak and the vulnerable. We see them when others overlook them or find them an unwanted distraction. We see them. We know they have a name, that God's named them. I love that imagery in A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Engel, that the ones who love are namers. And the demonic forces that take away love are called exers. They extinguish identity. The church, Jesus gives identity to people who are unseen. He tells you who you are. He reminds you again and again because he doesn't tire of saying it. A firm relationship between human beings, find language to express the nature of the gospel to the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, the displaced. Emphasize the peace of God in a crazy world. Uh, I live in a certain country led by a certain leader who has, by his very nature, created chaos everywhere. It's chaotic. I want to sing the peace of God that all is well. It's okay. This is not, this is not out of hand. But it feels out of hand. Seven, the great vocation. These are very simple. The great vocation, human agency, and the purpose of being. We are part of the family business. You and I have a calling. We're going to talk some about calling this weekend. 
And I do think it's more powerfully understood as a verb than it is as a noun. Because we're always missing it if it's a noun. But if it's an invitation from God, we're always in it if we're saying yes. Right? Affirm that people have a purpose. That when you wake up in the morning and you do good in your home, you make someone a cup of coffee, you bring someone coffee at the office, etc., that those aren't peripheral things to the gospel. Those are part of being a creational being, and you have a vocation, which is to build and strengthen others. You know I mean? Affirm people's vocation. We're part of the family business. God will use prophets. He'll use friends. Greatest devastation for people is having a sense of purpose with nowhere to go with it. Give them somewhere to go with it. And finally, the last one. Eight, the great age to come. Eschatology and the flow of history. We talked about streams and water. In your songs, give people language for where this is all going. That it's going somewhere. That history is not just going aimlessly into the future. That we're headed somewhere. We're headed to a fullness of intimacy with God. We're headed to seeing as we are seeing right now. To a place where the veil is going to be lifted and we'll see purest love in its purest form. And we'll behold, sing songs about surrender in that. Songs about our, our, our deep desire in the midst of our pain to know God. Embed a theology of suffering with a theology of miracles in your writing. Give people permission to ache. Please give people permission to ache. It doesn't mean we don't have to turn them then to the hope, but, but give them permission to be in pain. That's why I always like, like a song like Hungry. I always love that. Because like Hungry, I come to you. I know you satisfy. Broken, I come to you. You know, Wounded, etc. Some people, it helps to say that out loud. It just helps them to say that. It's all good. Okay? So that's it. So I'd like us just to uh, stand for a minute. Because we're going to go right to our session soon. You're going to say something first. Okay, come all I want to do is, is just pronounce a blessing. What I'd like you to do is just stand and put your hand on the shoulder of the person beside you. Just touch your shoulder, and I just want to say a, a moment's blessing. <coughs> Jesus, you said that we get to pray for one another and bless one another because we're a kingdom of priests. So here we are blessing one another. By your authority within us, Spirit of God, not only in this place, in this space, but in us, and we say, Holy Spirit, come. Fan into flame the gift of God in one another. Take that cloud of words and ideas and phrases and we ask you to expand it, to multiply it, to give us words that transcend what we've read or thought before. Give us images and metaphors. Help us to be painters with you of the great picture of gospel salvation. The truths of the world, let them bubble up in our lyrics, in our writing. And let us say them in their simplest forms, but some of us are called to say them in their most complex forms and to find a way to make art out of that. Mm -hmm. We say yes to it all, yeah. and yes specifically to the call to write worship songs for your church. Mm -hmm. We ask for this blessing, a renewal of the mandate, the passion, the connection with this call, even this responsibility that you give to your creative people. To create a feast that's not only for our own feasting, but is for the many. And some of us are called to set very unique tables for just a few. Let us be hospitable and artful in the way we do it. We say yes to this invitation from you to write about your epic themes, your truths that will always endure in Jesus' name.